2: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. CTmobile.com.
3: Yo Holmes.
4: Lawrence Holmes. Holmes runs it really well. Noon to two. Holmes doing what Holmes does on Sports Radio 670 the Score.
3: Yo, Holmes!
4: And 670thescore.com. And Odyssey Station. This is the David Ross Show.
5: Chicago!
4: Cubs manager David Ross
5: on the Lawrence Holmes Show. My expectation is for us to win ball games. I mean, like, we're going to go out and compete really hard. I think it's a fun group. World Series hero.
4: And now the 1-2 pitch on the way to Ross. One on, hit in the air, deep center field. Back goes Davis, back into the track, near the wall.
3: Davis leaping, and that ball is a home run!
4: David Ross with Lawrence Holmes on 670 The Score.
3: Yes, we are back in the David Ross formation. We get the opportunity a couple times a month to talk with the manager of the Cubs. He will call in momentarily and we will have a chat with him about his team. And I'm actually, I got, I was going through all of the, the pre-interview stuff. So just so you know, like, so you have an understanding of how I work. Those of you that are new to the show, welcome. It's like working with a clean inning. no transition. It's like a clean inning. I got to get comfortable and everything. When it comes to doing some of these interviews with the people who make decisions and the people who are making decisions about what goes on with your favorite sports teams, I try not to write out all of the questions that I want to ask. Usually what happens is I'll write down, like, here's a couple of topics that I want to get into with that person and then hopefully make it seem as if it's a, a fairly normal conversation. So that, that's the the thing. And I threw out a couple of questions that people wanted to ask me, wanted me to ask David Ross during our segment. And one of them was one of them was weird. Um I, I wanted to share it with you because I, I want to know if you have the same reaction to it that I did. And I was just going, huh? Like that are is that really the way that you wanna do a question for for Rossi? Someone threw into my Twitter today. Well, Lynn Bramer always goes in there, and we appreciate Lynn Bramer for doing that. But someone said that I should ask him about a playoff lineup. And I was like, look in my mind, I'm going, What? Uh it's it's April. And it's going to be Maine. That was terrible. I should've said it's going to be Maine. I should have gone with Memphis instead of Oh wait, isn't Justin Timberlake from Memphis too? So I guess you get Memphis both ways whether you're doing Hustle and Flow or with Justin Timberlake. But yeah, someone said you should ask Rossi about the playoffs and what his playoff lineup would look like. I'm like, we have so much farther to go than to start thinking about playoffs. And I ask a lot of hypotheticals, but I feel like after 10 games or 11 games for the Cubs, maybe you shouldn't even really be thinking about what's happening in the playoffs. I do want to talk to him about, say, a Suzuki. And if I don't get to him, then I'll ask, I'll tell you, I think this guy's good. And it's funny because you're talking about a player that, is trying to make his way in this league and has started up new. And I'm so impressed by him. He had another barrel last night, I think, and he got thrown out, and they had to to use a challenge on that play. But I just really, really like him as a player, and I'm hoping that he looks, he is as comfortable as he looks so far, and see. Just like that, poof, David Ross appears. The manager of the Chicago Cubs joins me on the Circuit Resort and Casino hotline. Circuit Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, some of the world's largest sports book. Rossi, we back, baby, we back. <laughs> What's up, Lawrence? How are you, my man? Man, I'm doing really well. How about you?
5: I'm great. I'm great. We won last night, so that always puts the manager in a good mood, you know?
3: No, no doubt about it. And, and it's been a, a pretty good start so far how how would you describe what you've seen from your team in the first week and a half? Uh,
5: I think we played well i you know I think the offense has been um really on par for what we expected and wanted, and uh some of the things we looked at in the off season and these guys have come in they worked really hard. um some of the pitchers are still maybe not quite built up where they need to be, you know if we're looking at big picture stuff, we're still probably. In a normal season, still a week left in spring training, so hitters are starting to get on time. Uh, Pitchers are starting to get built out a little bit more. Excuse me. And, um, you know, I'm pleasantly pleased. We've got a little things to clean up, but I think every team does, and uh, for the most part, we're healthy, knock on wood. So, yeah, things are off to, uh, to a pretty good start.
3: What were the things that you wanted to make sure were done with the pitchers to try and get them built up in in the right way so that guys aren't going out there and trying to do too much in the first couple of weeks, knowing that they're probably a little bit behind schedule because of the lockout.
5: Yeah, we're just having to play. I mean, Tommy Hottavy, um and the pitching group does a really nice job of mapping things out and planning ahead as best we can. I think the main thing that we looked at was, um, you know, having guys going back-to-back. We weren't able to do that. Um, the guys out of the pen early on, uh, David David Robertson just had his first back-to-back last night. Rowick Wick had his first back-to-back in Colorado. That takes a little bit of time uh, for those guys, and then you know just monitoring the pitch count, the workload, trying to keep an eye on um, you know when guys are when guys are starting to fade or fatigue a little bit in the game, and starting to look at that number of you know you 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 don't want to you don't want to take them out too early because you still need to build up that arm strength and build up that pitch count, but you also are trying to compete and win a game at the same time. So that's a little bit of a delicate balance, but um, the guys have been great and uh, very understanding. And, and you know, we've, we've got a lead, and I've got to take them out with, you know, four and two thirds or four and a third, and they want to get that win, but they understand there's a big picture here, and we're trying to keep guys healthy and trying to do things uh, over a six month span.
3: What's something that, that fans don't understand about the ramp up process for pitchers?
5: Um, I, you know, I don't want to take for granted what, what fans know and don't know, but I think the one thing that I look at is just, um, you know, that, that the up downs, right? Like you get, you get hot, you, you go out, and you throw 15, 20 pitches in an inning and then you sit down. And I mean, that, that half inning could take a, a while. It could, it could be long. It could, it could, you know, we in Colorado, we had some long innings, guys get on base. You're talking about maybe sitting there for 30 minutes and then ramping back up, you know, that it. it in, in theory, that's got to happen five, six, seven times uh, for these guys to get into a normal season. So we're still in that build-up phase in some respects.
3: David Ross, the manager of the Cubs, joining me here on The scores. we talk about the Cubs. Uh, right now, it's off to a really decent start with this team. You were talking about your offense and the way that, the, that you and, and the front office went about trying to build it. Do you think that you have a little bit more of a diversified offense now?
5: For sure. Uh, I think we have a little bit more contact-oriented group. You know, strikeouts where uh, when you have – you know, it, they go hand-in-hand, hand, right? When, you're, when you hit a lot of home runs or guys that hit a lot of home runs, there's going to be more strikeouts. There's going to be a little more swing and miss. And um, guys that have more contact are going to put the ball in play a little bit more. But we also put the gr- ball on the ground a little bit. And, you know, that's we're going to be susceptible to double plays at times. and um, But we're also going to be in – uh, in the game and having good at bats against really elite pitching, so there's a balance right you you're trying to trying to balance all that and find out where you're where you're um, where you want to spend your money and and the areas where we want to improve and um you know jed and the the guys in the front office did a really nice job at the trade deadline last year, getting some young talent and getting guys like Nick Madrigal, cody Hoyer uh, who was injured, but also a real uh, big leaguer that's going to help us out for a long time so um, yeah, I think it's all a balance of finding uh, your, your, your mix
3: offensively. Talking with David Ross, the Cubs manager here on the score, I, I started off before you jumped on the line with me, Rossi. I was talking about Seiya Suzuki. Obviously, like statistically, and I know that we're only talking about 11 games, but seeing the amount of pitches that he sees in an at-bat is really cool. Did you know that that was in his profile when they told you that he was going to be a part of your team? I I don't know what happened there. Like, We need to call Rossi back because I think the Cylons got him. See, Ray, this goes back to my theory. I've got a theory. I've got a theory that there hasn't been any improvement in actual cell phone stuff because now it's just a computer. And so when you try to have a call with someone... The sidelines come and get you. It's okay. Rossi will call back and hopefully we'll have a clean line. That's <laughs> what
2: you get with these internet lines nowadays, Lauren.
3: I know, I know. It's it's totally okay. <laughs> okay, all right. So we got Rossi back. All right, Rossi, you were saying about Seiya Suzuki. I'm sorry, um, I don't know what happened, yeah, I
5: think, yeah, you look at his profile and it definitely matched what uh, a good big leaguer and somebody that we value a well rounded player makes contacts, got power, it's for average, it's all fields, um good defensively, good on the bases, very athletic uh and you know so far seems to be a great human being, i mean, fun to be around, good teammate, good in the clubhouse um yeah we we saw this in his profile i i don't I can't say that you always know that it's going to transition and and that's a hard transition. Some guys coming over from Japan have had a lot of success and some guys have struggled a little bit more, but um, as far as the profile goes, yeah, this is a, this is a, somebody that we targeted is, has, fits a a really good profile for us.
3: How do you go about bridging the gap for him? Baseball wise from making the jump from the Japanese league to the major leagues.
5: Um, Just, you know, Communication, one I think is key, and then um, you know easing his way in. You know, I've got him. I think he's a top of the lineup type hitter. Um, you know, there in the the two, three, four area, and you know, we started him in the six, gave him a little bit of a, a adjustment period, but he's taken off. I mean, it won't be long here. Um, maybe today that he might be uh, up there where I, I've envisioned him on a regular basis, but um, just easing him in and also getting him the bats uh, that he needs. He had a late start for us, and trying to um, get him the the most reps he can, and and then you throw him out there and you let him you let him have some success or fail, and keep throwing him out there, and he'll he'll adjust. He's a really good athlete and has been good for a long time. You got to trust in that.
3: Yeah, when, when it was. Yeah, I know that our conversation in Scottsdale was quick, but one of the things you said about him. Was that he wants to be great and he wants to learn, and I, I've taken that with me. So how, how do you see that, like as a manager? What are the things that you're looking for to know that a player like that is engaged in actively getting better?
5: Well, that's it, right there. It's the engagement process. It's him asking the questions. It's him having the conversations. It's him having the, um, you know, the, the personality to go in the cage and talk about the hitting with the hitting guys. It's to. To have the engagement with Jason Hayward and Ian Happ and the other outfielders to talk about how how Wrigley plays, how uh, they can best communicate, what where where the strength and weaknesses, um, you know, trying to get better in every way uh, with um, Willie Harris and, and working in the outfield and Mike Napoli on the bases. Uh, he's just engaged, and then with the R and D guys, if he wants the information, it's there. But uh, right now, he's just been kind of doing his thing, being being athletic and and trusting his baseball skills and. Um, he's done a really nice job so far he's engaging though man like when he when he steps in in the locker room he, he, he's he got a great smile great way about him um you know his personality just kind of even not speaking the language him and his interpreter toy just have a really good way about themselves
6: ian hap's
3: been pretty good are we seeing the growth of like a leader inside your clubhouse with hap along with how well he's playing
5: yeah, yeah, Happer, you know, I think Happer went through some some growth period last year. Uh, the failure early on and then the success later and the belief in himself. Yeah, I, you know, what's what's really been impressive for me is uh, Ian's work that he's done from the right side of the play versus left-handed hitters driving the ball last night to right center. He got caught for an hour, but he's got three hits to the right side early on in the season and the big hit last night uh, through the six-hole. I mean – um, just the, the calmness about him, holding down the middle of the order right now, um, you know i I think we've got a lot of confidence in Ian he 's got a lot of confidence in himself, and I think the numbers are pretty clear when he has success, we win ball games, and um, you know that's a that 's a credit to him he 's continued to grow there is that everybody's going to go through moments of success and struggle, and being able to stay right mentally, have confidence in yourself is the key to that and he has done a nice job and continue to grow.
3: I love watching Justin Steele pitch, and he's missing bats. And I know that you're you're trying to build that arm up so he can go deeper in the games. What are the things that he needs to do to stay effective and successful?
5: Uh, I mean, for me, he's doing a really nice job. Is just continue to grow and trust in himself. Um, the four seam fastball is real. It played in Colorado, like you said. Just. He's a fun guy to watch pitch. He attacks hitters. uh, Trusting in his stuff. Don't get away from what you do well. Um, He has a two-seamer and a change-up that are good pitches, but his bread and butter are going to be that four-seam fastball and the slider. And making sure you trust that in the right moments and um, still being able to go deep in the games, be efficient. You know, the little things handle the adversity moments, all those growth periods that we'll see throughout this season that will come and go. um, And just staying, staying true to himself, trusting himself, Just kind of how we talked about Ian just a second ago. You gotta. Everybody's going to have those moments of adversity. You're going to have some some moments that you struggle. It's believing in yourself, keeping your confidence, and 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 trusting in what you do well, and sticking with that.
3: When when you have two guys like Schwindel and Wisdom that that kind of came on the scene and had some success last season, and now are maybe you know they're they're stalwarts in your lineup. How do you convince them that hey, you guys have proven that you belong here?
5: I mean, I tell them. I think you know, it's funny. Like going back to spring training, when I told them they were on the team, I told them pretty early because I saw this frustration and trying to press and get ready and um, watching them go about their work. They're great guys, but then in the games, you could tell. Like you know, every out felt like the end of the world. And and you know, to tell them, I, you know, I think I t- took for granted. Like neither one of them, uh, I, I Frank had, but. Wiz had never made opening day lineup. I think Frank wanted that just confirmation from the manager and that security, right? Like it always makes you feel better. So just talking through them, continue to show belief in them, putting them in the lineup, uh, understand there's going to be success and struggles. Again, them staying true to who they are. We know who Wiz is. You know, he's got big-time power, and some of that didn't show up early in the season because of the weather, and he he hit a ball that should have went out here at home. and. Uh, a couple balls that got caught uh, that were hit hard, and you got to keep trusting in that. And when you have the manager just saying, "Hey, stick with it," like knowing that they're going to be in there on a regular basis and find the right matchups for them, I think just uh, reassures them to to be who they are. And they're really good hitters. They're really good players. Uh, Frank's gotten so much better on defense in his short time here. Continues to develop. With is so solid at third. Uh, continue to work on stuff with our hitting group. Those guys are are going to be you know big time bats for us to to have some success throughout the season.
3: What was going on with Frank's home run celebration yesterday?
5: <laughs> I think he just uh, he had he had told uh, our hitting coach um, Greg Brown standing next to me. I heard him. He said, "I'm not hitting another ball on the ground because he hit a, a bunch hard here lately. I'm getting this ball in the air, and I'm I'm thinking, wow, it's windy and cold and." And Wrigley, really, that's probably not a, a good formula, but um, he hit it high and to right, and uh, I think he was just fired up to get another uh, home run like he did in Colorado that kind of get, get balls up in the air. He's got enough power to get the ball, hit the ball out to all fields, and he got it up and that, hit that jet stream and hit it pretty good, and it, it went out. I think he was just fired up to finally have some stuff fall. He's, he's hit some balls hard right at guys and, and on the ground, and uh, that's not a good formula in our game right now.
3: Rossi, as always, man, it was, it was a pleasure to see you out in the desert. I'm glad that that the team is is ready to roll, and you've had a really good start so far. Thanks for joining me, and as always, man, I look forward to talking with you.
5: All right, Lawrence, good to be back talking to you, man. Have a great day, and uh, I appreciate you. See you.
3: That is David Ross, the manager of your Chicago Cubs. <laughs> Some people are like, he sounded like Satan when the Cylons got him. Now, Now, here's the thing. I felt like when Joe was on the show, that we could have like played with that audio. With Rossi, I'm not sure. But I think we should try it, Ray. Maybe not today, but maybe today. If you can pull like right when it's like, like that might be fun. Like just a little snippet. And we'll see. And then look, if there's beef, I'll go take care of it in the clubhouse. I'll go see Rossi, and I'm sure it'll be fine. I think. I never know. Like, he was happy to see me in Scottsdale when I saw him. But you never know. He's, he's got the the thing. And I know that because I've got the thing. So It's a catcher thing. Weren't you a catcher? Yes. He's got the thing. Like you catch him on a good day, everything is fantastic. Catch him on a bad day, you might want to get out of the way. Short fuse for catchers. Yes. Not all of them. Well, I'm not generalizing. I I would say long fuse, big explosion. That's the thing. But I kind of like when Rossi is a bit red ass. Even when he's that with me. It makes it fun. So yeah, we we can just, we'll play with the snippet for the people that didn't hear it. And then we can have some fun with it. Like for the... Music behind it or something. I don't know. I'm producing the show on the air. That's a dumb idea. We should take a break, though. We're gonna here's what we got coming up today. Cody Westerlin is gonna talk to us about the Bulls and the Bucks series, and we are not done with baseball. You know why? Cause Steve Stone's gonna join me at one o'clock. Man, you picked the right day to listen to this damn show. I'm Lawrence
1: here with you until two on the score.
0: Call from mom. Answer it
4: Lawrence Holmes, noon to two on Sports Radio 670, The Score. It's time for the Cubs Minute. Chicago Cubs baseball is on the air. Fly the W. Wrigleyville, fans are awesome, great food. It's, you know, it's tough to beat. Cubbies. The Cubs Minute on the Lawrence Holmes Show. It's game one of a three-game series between the Chicago Cubs and the Tampa Bay Rays. Wisdom drives one in the air to deep left field. Going back is Russell It's got a chance gone. Long going, a booming home run by Patrick Wisdom to left, and the Cubs lead two to nothing. Hendricks is ready, the 2-2. Low grounds one through for a base hit in the right field. Around third and coming home is Phillips. The throw by Suzuki. The slide safe. Rays tie up the game. And the 1-2. half. It's a base hit to left field. Suzuki around third heading home. He will score the go-ahead run. He in half with a clutch RBI single to left. Cubs lead 3-2. Frank is nothing for three. And he hits a fly ball into right field and deep. Back goes Phillips near the wall in right. And that ball is gone. Home run, Frank Schwindel. Cubs lead 4-2. Right-hander to right-hander. Margot bounces one to third. This could do it. Wisdom throws to first. Cubs win the ballgame. David Robertson gets the save. The Chicago Cubs beat
3: the Tampa Bay Rays by a score of 4-2. That moves the Cubs to 6-4 on the season. Nice first 10-game sample from the Cubs. Nick Madrigal with two hits last night. Hitting 281, you you're going to see with Madrigal that he's going to get on base. But the way that he gets on base is mostly going to be singles. And if the Cubs lineup is as diversified as Rossi hopes, that's a good thing. You want to put pressure on pitchers. You want them to have to pitch from the stretch. Some guys are not as comfortable out of the stretch as they are from the wine. Schwindel with a home run. Wisdom with two RBIs and a home run. Seiya Suzuki, two for three yesterday, had a single that he tried to stretch into a double. Got thrown out of second base. The Cubs appealed, and it was upheld. Suzuki on the season, though, hitting 429. That's a good first start. Now, you have to be careful because, obviously, it's the first week and a half of a season and you're a new guy. It was interesting to hear and Rossi made mention of it in our conversation with him that he's not overly drawn to the numbers that it's not something that he necessarily needs. I was thinking about this cuz Dan and I were like while we were talking while he was vacating the premises about this a little bit. It's it's cool. I feel like what you're getting is Suzuki creating his own book. And I wonder if he scuffles, will he then say, "Oh yeah, give me all the information about these guys." Maybe he doesn't. Maybe his head is so cluttered at this point in his early Cubs career that he's like, "You know what? I'll let me just let me let me settle into this." Let me settle into seeing if if I just getting a scouting report can go ahead and, and have an approach against these pitchers. And if that's what he wants to do, as long as it's successful and as long as he's communicating with his manager about it, I am all for it. Try it. Not everything works for everybody. Some people want data. The, the more they feel like they're armed with it. Some people are like, I I'll just spin myself around like a top. If you keep giving me more and more information, it'll actually make my job harder, not easier. So we'll see what ends up happening with him. But he's so fun. He sees so many pitches in an at-bat. We see 22 or something last night. Like, that's insane. That you have three at-bats and you see seven pitches per at-bat. And he's right there with the league leaders. He's a lot of fun to watch. Justin Steele will go tonight for the Cubs. I love his stuff. And now we'll see if he can go a little bit deeper into a game. If he's built up, if he's getting people out. Ooh, I should probably look on check on FanDuel and see what the strikeout number is on Justin Steele. That's actually not a bad idea. He's Right now, I think he's 9.1 strikeouts per nine yeah, all right, we can play this game together where I look on my phone at the FanDuel Sportsbook app and then I see if it's something that I want to bet later on tonight. Because maybe that that's a play. I had a good play last night. We were going on the group chat, me, Campy, Tony, and Herbie, about basketball bets. And usually like when the Bulls aren't playing, I'm not really betting. But I saw Steph over 19 and a half, and I was like, come on, fam. Like, yeah, I'm uh I'm a pound that. And then I looked up in the second quarter, and Steph had 18 points. I was like, yeah, that's good. I think he's I think he's probably back. That that that's my guess. That Saturday was the game to see if he he felt good, and then he felt good. Make me feel good. And then he went and he did his thing in last night's game. Okay, so Rays versus Cubs. You'll hear the game here starting at 640. Let's look at the matchup here and see if there's a number. So the Cubs are plus 100 if you want to pick them to win the game. So you can get your money back. Player strikeouts. Justin Steele over four and a half is minus 108. Under four and a half is minus 118. I think I might, might make a play on the over for a Justin Steele. Speaking of Justins, we'll hear from Justin Fields later on in the show today, too, which is good because he talked. No one really knew, but he talked today. So we'll hear from the Bears quarterback at some point in the show. Steve Stone is going to join me at one. The Bulls are in the middle of a playoff series. Yeah, man. So when we come back, I'm going to talk with Cody Westerlin about that because they let one slip away. There's there's no doubt about it. Can they recapture some of the good things they did in game one and not do some of the bad things that they did in game two? I'm going to talk with Cody about that next here on The Score. (sighs)
7: Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com?
3: Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.
4: Lawrence Holmes, noon to two, on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. in Odyssey Station. station. (laughs) They really hurt us on the backboard and when they are there when we do come down with rebounds we've got to be able to run i thought
5: we took a lot of quick rush pull-up jump shots quick threes we've got to try to get downhill to the basket and then maybe spray it out so that was one area that i would say style-wise i think that we
3: could be a little bit better. Um, and then the other part of it would be for us to generate and to move the ball to to, to utilize Vooch, you know, as kind of a facilitator. The spacing's got to be good. I thought there were some times we really moved it and got into some really I I thought most of the shots we got were pretty good tonight. Billy Donovan talking about the Bulls game one loss to the Bucks. Game two will be tomorrow night. You will be able to hear that game on the score. There were some good things that happened inside the game, including the the Bulls effort. But they struggled to shoot the ball, and particularly DeMar, Zach, and Vooch struggled to shoot the ball. They played good defense, but at the end, it wasn't enough. Cody Westerland joins me because he covers the Bulls. He joins me on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline. Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, some of the world's largest sports book. Cody, thanks for joining me. Before we talk about some of the things that happened inside the game, like from individual standpoint, I do want to ask you, because I know that it's been something you've discussed on Twitter. Why didn't Billy Donovan challenge the Giannis foul call? Because there are a lot of Bulls fans that are still mad today that that Giannis didn't get the -the over-the-back call.
6: Yeah, Billy has been pretty hesitant to challenge it all this year in situations where it's not obvious, Lawrence. So I think that's still a little bit open-ended question. Um, why Billy didn't challenge it, because it was late enough in the game to do so. So I, I think that was probably a misstep by Billy, and he hasn't been directly asked that question. To my knowledge, he talked about the play thinking it was over the back, but he's also talked about these plays in the perspective of he just often doesn't trust that officials will overturn it. And I know if you trace back to the third quarter, people are wondering why um, Zach Levine's charge wasn't challenged either and Billy Donovan's information that he got on that call from from the second row of his bench was that they thought it was a charge so he shouldn't challenge it that doesn't make sense at all for the Pat Williams play though because it's late enough in the game and it was even more obvious I thought but the only way to challenge calls in the final two minutes on an out-of-bounds call too is coaches challenges so if there's a controversial out-of-bounds call you get one chance to do that as a coach so maybe Billy wanted to save it for that but the purpose with 2:05 left in a game, Lawrence was for the Bulls to get the ball on that possession, just like an out of bounds call would have been uh, that came later in the final two minutes. So it didn't make much sense by Billy. I think he should be a little bit more aggressive there. But really, if you go to his base cultural belief in this, is he doesn't want to burn a timeout unless he feels he's really, really, really confident in getting the call. And maybe he was scared the, the Bucks uh, or the refs weren't going to foul out Giannis in that game with his sixth foul. What was the good of what you saw in Game 1? Well, the way the Bulls played defense and competed, we hadn't seen that literally for, for months against a good team um, to that degree. And I thought the Bulls did a phenomenal job getting in the Bucks' space on the offensive end. And even when the Bucks kind of asserted their, their athletic advantage with Giannis, obviously, and some other guys, even when the Bucks had success on offense – Outside of that 9-0 run to open the game, it was hard-earned success by the Bucks, and that's a credit to the Bulls defense. So I think if you're a Bulls fan, if you're the coaching staff, if you're these players, what you have to be most confident about is the fact that you can replicate that effort for three, four, or five more games in this series if the Bulls can hit shots and steal a game or two. They can bring that effort and intensity on defense every game, and you see that it gave the Bucks some problems. Now, the Bucks aren't going to shoot 10 of 38 from three-point range, and they've had some really good looks uh, that they missed. So that's going to uptick. I'm sure Chris Middleton will shoot better. Drew Holiday will be a little bit more efficient on offense. But the Bulls can keep bringing that tenacity on defense uh, and make the Bucks work and make this a little bit harder of a series than a lot of us originally thought. What
3: do the Bulls need to do better than they did in game one?
6: Well, I think it just starts with shooting the ball better, right? Like... There's a lot of consternation and arguments over Nikola Vucevic shooting 9 of 27, 2 of 10 on three-pointers. Zach Levine was also 2 of 10 on three-pointers. I thought Vucevic had a lot of good looks. I think this is kind of built into how the Bucks play defense. They let opposing teams shoot three-pointers, and if they are good looks, I think the Bulls should have these guys shoot them. Zach Levine's three-pointers, obviously, his come off the bounce a little bit more often. Are usually a little bit more difficult because defenders know they have to be up in him on defense. But these are the Bulls' star players; they got to rely on them for the most part. I think if I'm the Bulls, I would like to tilt away some of DeRozan's opportunities in the mid-range, maybe to others. Excuse me, but for the most part, I I think the Bulls need to keep relying on Zach Levine um, more if they can. I think these guys—the way to win in the playoffs is with star players, and the Bulls have. Three main guys on offense, and I think they should try to rely on them.
3: What do you say to DeMar's bad shooting? Was it just him missing shots, or did Milwaukee
6: do a good job of forcing him into shots? Well, DeMar claimed the Bucks didn't do anything uh, on his difficult time. He liked them. He thought they were open looks. But I thought the Bucs did a pretty good job. Wes Matthews obviously started on him. Drew Holiday got a lot of time playing defense on DeMar. Both of them gave him trouble, and he wasn't efficient against them. Just like the Bucks or the Bulls on the Bucks on the one end. On the flip side, the Bucks did a good job, I thought, getting into DeMar's space quite a bit. You don't get quite as many foul calls usually in the playoffs. We saw that the Bulls got to the free throw line 19 times, maybe in a regular season game if they were a little bit uh, more aggressive with the whistle, and maybe that changes later here in the series. You'd see the Bulls and DeMar get to the free throw line even more, but the Bucks were in his space, I thought, for the most part, and content with him shooting mid-range shots. And that's the problem to me, really, is that DeMar's not going to change his mindset. Like, this Bulls team, I mean, if you're looking at it, we're going on game 83 or 84 here, I mean, of significance in the season. They're not going to totally overhaul their offensive system. Like, it feels like DeMar's going to continue to have a really big workload and if that workload's from the mid-range, if it's two-pointers against this Bucks team, like he's got to shoot at a higher clip, he will, but to really make a dent and make a difference, it feels like he's got to shoot at an efficiency right before and after the All-Star break for him where he was around 60%, and the Bucs just have so many good defenders on this team when they want to lock in. It feels like that's going to be a real challenge for DeMar, because the Bucks aren't going to let him get those dunks and some layups and easy buckets at the rim that he might have got against worse defenses here. They're really going to make him work, and I think that's why I'm a little concerned that the Bulls just run it back out there. And even if DeMar shoots 11 of 24 or 25, like that's not going to be enough either. So when I look at what the Bulls need to do moving forward, I'm still looking at Zach Levine. I want to see more of him. And on the offensive end, because he's the guy who can do it from three levels um, more seamlessly than anyone on this team, whether it's pull up shots from three point range off the bounce, whether it is getting into a mid range rhythm or whether it's using quickness and explosiveness to get to the rim, put a little more pressure on the officials, whatever the case may be. Like, I think the Bulls would be wise to tilt a little bit more of that offense towards Zach. And then I think you just got to hope Vooch knocks down some of his open three pointers as well.
3: Cody Westerlin joining me here to talk about the Bulls. They get ready for game two against their their series against the Bucks. How do you think Vooch played in, in game one? And and the reason that I ask it that way is that yeah. you look at the numbers, great. You look at the shooting percentage, not so great. But then you look at the usage and what they asked him to do defensively, I kind of felt like it was pretty good. So I'm stuck not knowing how he
6: played in the game. This is the great debate, right? Like Bulls fans, no one knows who to even be mad at sometimes or how to assess it. Uh, personally, I thought Vooch was the second best player on the floor for the Bulls in game one. I thought Alex Caruso was defensively. I thought Caruso made a couple good cuts, didn't shoot the ball well, no one did. That's kind of what I felt like with Vooch too. Like he did a lot of really, really good things, but didn't shoot the ball very well. And I thought he rebounded fantastically. Like the Bulls have no chance in that game. Uh, of slowing the bucks down if his strength and just size and rebounding ability isn't out there. Like he played good defense against Giannis. Giannis tore up almost all the bulls. He shot two of five when Vooch was the primary defender on him in game one. So if you look at Giannis on a 90 shot, ten, he was efficient against basically everyone, but Vooch you saw there were little plays where I thought Vooch did some good things that just didn't pay off the bucks. Uh, Ran him off the three point line one time. He drives to the hoop and passes to a wide open Pat Williams in the corner, and Williams misses a three pointer. Like, Vooch made a lot of really good basketball plays. He just couldn't shoot, and that's on him. Like, he's got to be better if the Bulls are going to win this series, but all told, like, I still thought he was the second best Bulls player on the floor. He almost single handedly brought them back into that game in the third quarter, too, with the personal 8 0 run and just his threat of him during that little stretch opened some other things up for people like Kobe White too. So all in all, I thought Vooch played a good game, just didn't shoot well on a night that no one on that floor hardly shot well.
3: What's the counter attack that you expect the Bucks to make in game two?
6: Oh, that's a good question. I think they'll do a lot of the things the same by way of getting their open looks at three-point range. I think they might try to get Chris Middleton To spots a little bit more run him through things off screens and take advantage of whoever needs to guard him and that could be Crusoe at times it could be Zach Levine uh at other times on that end but just make them work a little bit more I think they obviously have the uh the Giannis trick in their bag. And by that, I mean he can shoot a lot more than 19 times. He can assert himself more and be more aggressive. He only got to the free throw line for him, and I say only, 11 times. Like It feels like he can get to the rim whenever he wants um, sometimes on the floor. But the Bulls did do a pretty good job against Giannis, just taking away some of his space. But I think I could see the Bucs just trying to get Chris Middleton in the flow a little bit more. You saw Brooke Lopez at times got behind that Bulls defense a couple times, especially early in the game. Maybe try to find that. But I mean, I don't expect drastic changes from these teams in the way they attack game two. And I say that because some of these shots, they liked what they got. And some of these shots just didn't go down. So I would expect some of them to expect just regression to the mean in some ways. But the Bucks can always rely on Giannis more, I think, and then Chris Middleton just was never seemed to be in a flow in Game One. Maybe they do a little bit more to get him involved.
3: Yeah, Cody, I'm concerned about Game Two, and and yeah. the, and the reason is is that you know we've seen the the bad shooting nights from the Bulls, and clearly, like Demar has to be super efficient for them to win this series. But I I look at the days that Holiday and and Middleton had, and I'm like, that's not going to happen again. And and I'm worried that that it's not just the loss in game two, but it's a it's a laugher. I don't think
6: it's going to be a laugher. If you're asking me, do the Bucks cover the spread in game two, which I think is probably around ten points, I would say yes because I think their shooting's going to uptick more than the Bulls. But if you're like, is it going to be a laugher or the Bulls going to be embarrassed on national TV? Like, I'm not there right now. I think this Bulls team can bring that intensity again for Game 2 and make life difficult on the Bucks. Like, I thought that was a big step for the Bulls just because we hadn't seen it for so long, and we always wonder, can you flip the switch? I think they can flip the switch of the intensity. That does not mean they win. That does not mean they're all of a sudden efficient offensively. But I think the hopefully the Bulls, maybe I'm an optimist here, Lawrence, but... I think the bulls have moved past the embarrassment of like the Hornets back cutting them for 10 layups. You know what I mean? And dunks like, I think they can bring that same fight to game two and still make these competitive games in this series moving forward. I don't expect it to be a laugher, but I, I mean, if you're asking me, I'd still expect the Bucks to win by 10, 12 points, something like that in game two. Well, you
3: did make me feel a little bit better about this, and hopefully you are right about this whole thing. Cody, as always, I appreciate your hard work on covering the Bulls. Thank you so much.
6: Yep, you take care.
3: That's Cody Westerland who covers the Bulls for us. You should be following Cody on Twitter, at Cody Westerland. Telling you, great follow. All sorts of incredible statistical analysis His breakdowns, he covers the team every day. He's got the goods. Coming up, are you a baseball fan? Good. Are you not a baseball fan? That's also okay because Steve Stone is going to make you a baseball fan. The best analyst in the business joins me to talk about the White Sox and the game at large next here on The Score.